I love cycling. A day like today calls to you. It's calling to me as soon as church is over. I'm, I'm going to hit the river. No, I ride the river. How many of you cycle in here? I've had some converts. Hey, we need to have a cycling class. This isn't in my notes. We need to have a cycling trip, church-wide, turning point. The motorcycle gang, they do their deal. Hey, we cycle. All right, we've been talking about overcoming giants. How many of you have dealt with a giant since you were saved? Everybody in here, right? Here's the amazing thing. Jesus gives uh, gives us the victory, but giants don't go away. They must be defeated. And all of us fight giants of one kind or another. In the last number of weeks, actually the last six weeks, we've talked about disarming the giant of anger, giant of offense, the giant of temptation. Six different giants. You ought to get the series. It's really, really been blessed of God. But today I want to talk to you about disarming one that I know you deal with every day on one level or another. The giant of intimidation. I want to look at one verse up here, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. And I want you to read it with me because this is something we all need to understand. Ready? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you believe that? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have not been given a spirit of fear by you. For fear has torment, and you are not a tormentor. And Lord, we thank you for giving us an answer today on how to break the shackles of intimidation and walk free in boldness in Jesus Christ. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, break intimidation off my life like it's never been broken before. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't be intimidated, be bold in the Lord. Amen. Now, this, this verse is so powerful. It's letting us know something about God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if we're walking around paralyzed by fear, just shackled by it, afraid of everything or afraid of something all the time, we can know for a fact that that didn't come from God. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, said James, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of change. Of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth. He's saying if it's a good gift and a perfect gift, it came down from the Father of lights. But if it's something like fear, it did not come from the Father of lights. And I want you to notice that he called fear a spirit. He literally uses the word pneuma in the Greek, spirit. He said fear is a spirit. It is a spirit that the enemy uses to attack us with. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Now, the word fear in that verse, I used to think it was phobos that we get phobia from, which is like this panic fear, but that's not what what it is in that verse. It really means cowardice or timidity. God has not given us a cowardly or timid spirit. 
that draws back, that, that has no boldness, that is not bold in God, that is cowardly, sh- shrinking, um, um, that, that, that pulls back. It refers to a person losing their moral gumption, their fortitude in the presence of danger or threat. Cowardly. We, we could change the verse and say, God has not given us a cowardly spirit. When you look at the New Testament, you see the disciples, one of the things that marked them was this supernatural boldness. They were not cowardly, but they were bold. No matter what was done to them, they walked in boldness. We find Paul in the New Testament regularly asking the church to pray that he has boldness in proclaiming Christ. What was he saying? Pray that that spirit of timidity, that cowardly spirit does not get on me, but I remain bold in God, bold in Christ. I don't want to back down. I don't want to run away from a battle. I want to stay strong. I want you to notice just for the heck of it, that the word timid is right in the middle of intimidation. Intimidation means you are in timidity. You have been taken by timidity. Paul is writing Timothy and telling him, God didn't give you a spirit of fear because this formerly bold preacher, Timothy, for some reason or another had begun to shrink back and not be as bold in God. He was not witnessing. He was not preaching. He was not putting everything on the line for Christ. And so Paul wrote him and said, hey, Timothy, hey, God didn't give you this spirit of cowardice. He wants you to be bold. You've got the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So get to preaching again, Timothy. Get back to your old self. Be bold in God. Intimidation is a close brother to fear. It it is a sibling of fear. It's a type of fear. Satan uses intimidation as a weapon against God's people. You have probably faced it this week in your workplace, in a school, maybe even in your own home where somebody doesn't believe or amongst your in-laws. You, you have experienced intimidation. Here's how it happens. You have a sense that you ought to say something on behalf of the Lord and you start to do it. And, th- and then suddenly a thought hits you. I better not because if I do this, this, and this might happen and you hold back, and you're not aware that when you hold back, you were just intimidated. Now, I'm very aware that there are times when the Holy Spirit will tell you to hold back and use wisdom and tact. I understand that, but I'm not talking about that today. I'm talking about when you ought to, you don't, because you're afraid of whatever consequence you think might happen. They'll think that I'm a nut. They'll think that I'm a, 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 you know, one of those Jesus freaks. Uh, I might lose my reputation or my favor. Uh, I'll lose the smile of people. And so you hold back. That's intimidation. God tells you to step out in faith and do something in ministry, something to serve him. And you start to go do it. And then something checks you and you say, you know, I better not because if I do that, this or this or this, and you think of a negative consequence and you hold back and you just got intimidated from stepping forth in what God wants you to do. Intimidation will rob you from fulfilling your calling God. It almost robbed me. I was so intimidated when God called me to preach. When I'm, I, the first door opened for me to preach, 
I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I fasted, not because I was spiritual, but because I wasn't hungry. I died a thousand deaths. I told the guy who invited me, I can't do it. Thank God he was persistent with me. He said, you have to do it because there's no one else. If you don't do it, I said, well, I'm so sorry. You're going to be left alone. He said, you're going to do it. Days later, I drove there, died a thousand deaths on the way, and thinking nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say. And who am I? I don't even have any high school. And I didn't. Now, in case you're worried about that, believe me, I got plenty of college. But I was kicked out of high school in the ninth grade and never went back. Didn't have 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. So I went junior college, college, got master's, got a doctorate. I played catch-up. For 15 years. Believe me, I'm caught up. You're not going to find me going back to school. Okay? Intimidation is used by the enemy to muzzle us, to make us afraid to stand for Christ. Now, let me give you, for instance, when Nehemiah was called out of Babylon to go and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, You remember that? They've been in captivity for 70 years, and Cyrus, the Persian king, said, okay, you can can go and rebuild the wall now and rebuild the city. Well, Ezra came and rebuilt the temple, but Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall. And you notice that as soon as they were released and launched into the work of the Lord to rebuild that wall, the enemy released against them in a sustained intimidation campaign Two men called Sambalat and Tobiah. They were Arabs who hated the Jews, did not want the Jews rebuilding anything. And so they unleashed this intimidation campaign against them, began to attack them. And you will find that as soon as you say yes to the Lord, often the enemy will release against you an intimidation campaign. All the reasons why you can't do it, why you shouldn't do it, why you're not prepared to do it, why you're not qualified to do it. Their intimidation campaign, I kind of broke it down and I found three ways they intimidated. The first way that they attacked Nehemiah and the builders with intimidation was mockery. Nehemiah 2.19 says, when Sambalat and Tobiah heard that the Jews were rebuilding the wall, they mocked and made fun of us. We became the brunt of all their jokes. They would walk by pointing at us and laughing, slapping each other on the back, mocking, ridiculing, mockery. Mockery is a hard thing to take. Mockery is not an easy thing to listen to. Their their mockery was designed to intimidate the Israelites into believing they could not accomplish what they had set out to do. You can't do it. Who are you? You've been in captivity for messing up so bad in the first place. Who are you to come back and rebuild anything? You ought to stay in the shadows. It was a shaming technique, mockery. It was extremely toxic, very discouraging. You know what it's like. I sure do. I've been mocked in my own family. I've been mocked at work in the past. I was certainly mocked in college. was the brunt of jokes. I had to learn to take it. I had to learn to turn to what Jesus said. He knew full well that his followers were going to be ridiculed and persecuted for taking a stand for him. And church, let me tell you, I'm preaching this because if there was ever a day we must learn to overcome intimidation, it is today. It is now. Listen to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are you when people mock you. 
Blessed are you when people mock you. How blessed do you feel when you're getting mocked? But Jesus said, you're blessed. He said, when they mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers, he said, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So when they point at you and mock you, you need to lift up your hands and rejoice. And that's a decision. Believe me, you are not going to be experiencing that emotion. But he said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because you're going to get rewarded in heaven. The day will come when Jesus will say to you in eternity, I saw the way you were mocked. I saw the way you took a stand. Now, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what's going to happen. He said, because the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Malachi, Haggai, all the prophets, all of those who stood for God or Christ were mocked, were persecuted. The second kind of intimidation technique that I saw was the threat of physical harm. It says in chapter 4, 11 to 12 of Nehemiah, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, now watch this, they're building the wall, they're putting brick upon brick, mortar, they're busy in, in Emmanuel labor. And before they know what's happening, here's what came against them. Before they know what's happening, they heard, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us, watch this again and again. This was a sustained threat over time. Again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. Here was the message. You keep building this wall, we're going to kill you. You're going, to, you're going to be in the middle of building that wall, and we're going to come at you from every direction, and we're going to take your life. Physical threats, intimidation. A third type of intimidation tactic used against Nehemiah was predictions of failure. Prediction of failure. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says they mocked the Jews, and then they said, they sent a message to the Jews, Whatever they build, now hear the mockery in this, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it's going to break down their stone wall. What does a little fox weigh? 20 pounds? said, these people are so inept, so incompetent, so ill-prepared, so unqualified, that they're going to build a joke. It's not going to amount to anything. And church, I don't know if you've ever heard that voice. You set out to do something for God, and here comes the voice of Sam Ballot and Tobiah, who are a type of Satan, and it comes against you. Who are you? You're not going to build anything that is worth uh, looking at, worth, of any substance, of any weight. Uh, uh, it's going to break down so easily. You don't have it. You don't got it. You're not gifted. You're not talented. You're not this. And the enemy will define you down and marginalize you until you are so intimidated you don't go do it. It's a tactic. Bible is full of examples like this. Who, who can forget the giant of giants? Goliath. And we've all heard of Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Terminator, right? Arnold's looking rough these days. It's hard to see him in an action movie thing, although I haven't gone to one in a long, long time. But I saw a clip. Now, Terminator. I looked up this idea, this thing, I saw that in a foreign country there was an action movie called The Annihilator. But guess what? If you had cast Goliath in an action movie, he would have been called The Intimidator. 
because everything about him was intimidating. Everything, nine feet tall, girt in the best armor of the day, a professional soldier. And he used the same intimidation tactics against David that Sambalat and Tobiah did against Nehemiah. He, he mocked him. Remember when David came walking up to him? He mocked him and said, look at this. Look at this, kid. Is this the best you've got? Ha, 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 Marginalized him. Defined him down. What a joke. You can't send anything better than a kid with a sling and a stone? Threats of harm. He looked at David and said, I'm going to take your head off today and feed it to the birds of the air. Predictions of failure. What are you going to do with a sling and a stone? The whole while David's doing this. And right about when Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air today. And what a joke you are. There was a thud heard. I love that story. David, David refused to be intimidated. <laughs> and right when Goliath's mocking him, he just let it fly. And that was Goliath's last words. But I want you to point out that David, David refused to be intimidated. Now, let me tell you where we are in America. I want you to hear me very carefully. This is going to matter to everyone here today who loves Jesus. Let me tell you where we are. We're living in an hour and a time in, in America where the weapon of intimidation is being used by Satan on a level I've never seen. I started preaching 42 years ago. I have preached virtually my whole life. And I'm going to tell you now there is an intimidation campaign that has been released by a godless, Christ-rejecting culture against the church. And, And the church is being cowed into silence Unless that church says, I will not be intimidated. I will not be. The intimidation campaign is very real. It's very toxic. And it's very, very uh, there. I see it every day. Consider the following. Our public schools are terrified right now. They're terrified that if they allow anything of a Christian nature into school plays, classroom activities, or classroom discussion, that the ACLU will pounce on them and sue them, and they have been cowed into total silence. They will talk about Wicca. They will talk about Islam, but they will not talk about Christ. They have been cowed into silence, intimidated. Hate crime legislation was signed into law a few years ago that signifies, get this, that preaching against sins like homosexuality can be interpreted as hate speech by the listeners and bring an arrest against the preacher. You think that can't happen? It's already happened several times in England out of whose womb we came. And it's already happened a couple of times in the United States of America. So that a listener out there, if I were to stand on a street corner today and preach Jesus and say, just for instance, homosexuality is a sin, then a a listener could say, well, that offends me, and go to the police and say, I believe that they just made hate speech, and that policeman can come and arrest me and take me to jail and charge me with a hate crime, and that is nothing short of an intimidation tactic to muzzle the church from preaching the Bible as it is to men as they are. 
Now, political correctness, which I despise, loathe, hate, and detest. Now, I'm going to tell you why. Because political correctness takes away our freedom of speech. Political correctness, the message is, are certain things you can say and can't say. It has produced thought police, is released into our culture, people who watch for others to say the wrong thing, and then they pounce. It is, a, it is a form of soft Marxism. There are certain things you better not say, can't say, because if you say them, that's not tolerant. Isn't it interesting that tolerance is preached unless it is tolerance towards the church? And if, if, if the church stands up and exercises its freedom of speech, then the ones who preach tolerance are not tolerant at all. How, how does that happen? But political correctness is now the ruling code of ethics of 21st century America, and it has literally muzzled much of the church from even mentioning sin. You shouldn't do that because that makes people feel bad about themselves and hurts their self-esteem. The whole self-esteem thing is a bunch of garbage. It's crazy. We need to hear that we're in sin. If I hadn't heard that I was in sin, listen, what would you think if you went and found a family physician? And, and, and you met him and liked him, and he said, well, you need to know this about me. We don't discuss disease. <laughs> then you would say, well, oh, wait a minute. Whatever you find a disease in me, well, well, you know, we'll pray for you. But we're not going to talk about it because disease is off limits. It's the same thing when a church says we won't discuss sin. Because if you don't discuss sin, how is anybody going to be saved? How is anybody going to be healed? Because sin is what is destroying people's lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? The, the, the pastor of the largest church on America was being interviewed on TV, and he said, we don't discuss sin. I just fell off my chair. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned. We have all turned aside. We've all gone our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We need to hear that. But instead, I've watched entire denominations that used to be bulwarks of the truth, that used to stand for Christ and stand for the word, have now sided with the world. They want the world's smile instead of God's. And they not only refuse to call sin, sin, but they've gone so far now as to call wrong, right, and right, wrong. Somebody beam me up. What has happened to us? It's like our culture has gone nuts. Let me tell you what it is. It's the upside down, backward thinking of political correctness, which is nothing more than an intimidation technique of the enemy to muzzle the church. And the intimidation campaign is not going to go anywhere. It's going to grow worse unless and until a mighty move of God sweeps our land, which I believe could happen. But if and until it does, how do we overcome this spirit of intimidation? Because you're going to be intimidated this week, at least tempted to be, somewhere, sometime, somehow, in some setting. Well, Simon Peter, who knows a little bit about intimidation, tells us how. You remember how he lost it. He lost his testimony. Around that little campfire, Jesus taken into Pilate's hall. He's in the outer court. Little teenage girl. You were with him. No, I wasn't. Not me. You got the wrong guy. Oh, yes, yes, you were with him. No, I wasn't. 
What was happening to him? Spirit of intimidation. Third time, I know you were with him. I saw you. And he cursed and said, I never even knew him. Right about then, Jesus was walked out and gave him a look. I hope I never see you. What happened to Simon Peter? He came under the spirit of intimidation. It muzzled him, silenced him, and he denied the Lord. We must be freed of this spirit, folks. We must be. So what did Peter tell us who knew what he was talking about, how to be free from intimidation? He said three things in 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to give you the verse after I tell you each key. 1 Peter 3, 13 through 16. First, we must realize something. Can you say that with me? Realize something. What are we supposed to realize? Listen to what he says in verse 13. Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. What is he saying? First, we must realize man can't ultimately hurt us. I'm going to say that again. Man can't ultimately hurt us. Do you know the Bible says the fear of man brings a trap and a snare? When you're afraid of men's opinion, afraid of the consequences with men, afraid of what they're going to think about you, don't worry about it. They're probably not thinking about you. And even if they are, who cares? With men, you're a hero one day, zero the next. With men, they pat you on the back one day, stab you in the back the next. Who cares what men think? We ought to care what he thinks. Now watch this. He's, he, you say, well, Pastor Jeff, if somebody hits me, the man hurt me. Here's what he's saying. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill your soul. You hear what Jesus is saying? Man can, yes, man can kill your body, but man cannot touch your redeemed, blood-bought soul. So man can't ultimately hurt you. He said, rather fear him who can take both soul and body and cast them into hell. Jesus said, indeed, I say, fear him. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody in the Bible. These preachers going around saying there's no hell today are not reading their Bible. Jesus said, there is a hell and you don't want to go there. He said, fear the one who can cast you there. Don't fear men. Peter added, rather than harming you, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. So if you suffer mockery, ridicule, some kind of physical harm, Jesus said, and Peter said in another place, the spirit of glory and of God is resting upon you. Amen. I like Paul when it comes to this. He was constantly faced with intimidation, with every kind of intimidation. But his motto was this. I don't bow, I don't bend, I don't break, I don't back down. I stand for Christ and I don't give in. Give you, for instance, his enemies constantly threaten to kill him. Paul said, that's okay. For me to live as Christ and to die is just gain. If you're going to kill me, you're going to send me to heaven. That's where I want to be anyway. So you can't intend to intimidate me there. His enemies threatened to imprison him, and they did imprison him. And so what did he do? He said, well, since, since Jesus is in charge of my life, then I'm going to consider myself the prisoner of Christ Jesus. So you don't have me in prison. He does. And when I get out, it'll be because he got me out. In the meantime, I'm going to write some letters. So we have Romans, we have Philippians, we have Ephesians. We have these incredible letters that thank God he was in prison and had time to write. 
And then they said, all right, well, then we're going to make your life miserable through suffering. He said, that's all right. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. So if I suffer a little bit, when I get to glory, I'm going to forget all about it. They could not intimidate him. They took the disciples into the in front of the Sanhedrin. They whipped them. They threatened them. And they said, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ. And they went right out, lifted their hands, thanked God for the privilege of being persecuted for him, and went right out and started preaching Jesus Christ. They refused to be intimidated. And it was that kind of church that turned the Roman world upside down. And that's what we need today. Not a bunch of milquetoast, spineless, do-nothing, say-nothing Christians in the shadows of some half-dead church. We need red-hot, spirit-filled, bold believers taking it to the culture. Some of you guests were thinking, God, this is kind of extreme. How did I get here today? You're here by divine appointment, and it's not extreme. I'm preaching normal Christianity. What you've been seeing is subpar. So hang on, George. Grab your seat. I'm not done. I'm almost done. Are you ready? So first realize something. Second Peter said, sanctify something. Sanctify something. He said, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Now, what does sanctification mean? We all know the name if we're believers, but a lot don't know what it means. It's from a Greek word, hagiadzo. And hagiazo means to consecrate, dedicate, separate. Now look at your heart. Here's your heart. It's full of affections. It's attached to things. It loves things. It hates things. It is drawn to some things, repulsed by others. Your heart, the seed of your emotions. Peter said, take that heart and separate it, consecrate it, dedicate it to Jesus because he wants your heart. He has your soul. You're saved. But you can be saved and he not have your heart. If he has your heart, then he has all of you and he has all the issues of your life. It, it has to do with what have you crowned King, most important, first, primary in your heart. Because whatever you have crowned as the most important thing in your heart is what you are pursuing in life. It is what you love the most. It is what you give your money for, your energy for, your time for, your life for. With some people, it's money. We're surrounded by that. There are millions of people in America just giving their life for the, for the greenback, the money can't take one bit of it with you when you die. Some people, it, it, it's pleasure. They live for pleasure. They're hedonists. They live for pleasure. That's our culture. It's all about pleasure. Immediate gratification. And with other people, it's a career. I, they worship their career. Their career is numero uno in their life. But, but the Bible says, here's Christianity 101. Christianity 101 is you give him your heart. 
he's first. If he's first, then he has everything. If he has everything, you're not afraid of losing anything. So intimidation doesn't work. Let me tell you what you're going to be hearing. You and I, for the rest of our lives, we're going to be hearing this from Jesus to us. Allow me lordship over your family, your finances, your sexual life, your aspirations, your dreams, everything. Give those to me. And if you give those to me, then I've got your heart. And if I've got your heart, intimidation is not going to work against you because you're not afraid of losing anything because you don't have anything. It's all been given to him. Quiet in here. In in John's revelation, John takes us beyond the veil. He he parts the veil, and we get to look into heaven. And as we look into heaven in John's revelation, we see that there has been an incredible warfare, and we see that Satan has been cast down, and God's people have won the victory. And John tells us why and how they won the victory. And you know this verse. He says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. And here's the third thing and what I want to look at. And they did not love their lives to the death. See, when, when you've given him everything, then you have given him your life. And if you've given him your life, you're not afraid of losing it. And if you're not afraid of losing it, you can't be intimidated. They had sanctified him in their hearts. So say with me, realize something, sanctify something. And I want to close with this, keep something, keep something. Peter says, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Keep a clear conscience. Let me put it my way. Keep short accounts with God. If you sin, get it right as quickly as you can. Keep your conscience clear. I'm going to tell you why. Without a clear conscience, you will not, cannot win on the spiritual battlefield of life. Because the enemy has a way in, if your conscience isn't clear, to condemn you. And if he can condemn you, he can intimidate you. Paul said to Timothy, in another place, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. When you violate your conscience and don't get things right with God, you are adrift in the ocean of trouble with no anchor and no compass, and you'll shipwreck. So you keep short accounts with God. And if you keep short accounts with God, you, you can't be intimidated because you're right with him. You know, people who don't have a clear conscience live a miserable life. I, I read this verse. It really, I got a, kind of a kick out of it. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse 1, the wicked run when no one's chasing them. Isn't it terrible to live a life of sin? Because you run when nobody is chasing you. What are you running from? I don't know, but somebody's after me. Why do you believe that? Because your conscience isn't clear. You know, I remember in my way back when, and it was terrible times when I was a teenager, but I was in drugs, and you know that. And I remember anywhere we went, the cops were always there, even though most of the time they weren't. You drove down the road staring in the rearview mirror, 
Every car coming up behind you was the heat. That's what we call them, the heat. And you're always living in this miserable paranoia. But you know what it says about the righteous? The godly are bold as lions because they have a clear conscience. When you've got a clear conscience, you will stand before God and men and and say, I am not afraid. I am not intimidated. I'm right with God. And it's a powerful thing. It's a blessed thing. So you live in a way that you won't have to keep looking behind you, hoping the wrong you've done doesn't catch up with you today. What a terrible way to live. You get a stiff neck that way. Always looking behind you. So let's stand together. and I'm going to just lead you through these simple points and we're going to pray. To win against the giant of intimidation, we must, say this with me, realize something. The enemy can't ultimately harm you. Sanctify something. The Lord in your heart. Keep something. A clear conscience before God and men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the blessing of God on the house of God. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross, that cross of shame, so that we wouldn't have to walk in shame. Jesus died on that cross to set us free from crippling fear and to make us bold as lions. Now let's lift our hands towards him, can we? Some of you are in a workplace, a home place. You're somewhere where intimidation is, enta- is attacking you. And I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, today, I give you the intimidation. It's a spirit, and it's not from you. I ask you to break that spirit off my life and give me a boldness I have never known. I ask you, Lord to take away shame of you or your gospel and help me to shine like a light and take my stand for you and not move in Jesus' name. Now say with me, I'm free of that spirit. Give him a hand of praise today.